Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, today I want us to look at a very familiar passage, a very familiar topic among our church. I want us to look at what it is to be a real Christ follower, and we're going to look at the first part of that today. But as we think about that, I, I, first of all, I want, to, I want to begin by sharing what was one of the scariest weeks of my life this week for you. Um, I feel like sometimes it's, it's good just to give you a little insight into who I am and some of the things that go on in my life so you can know me a little better, but uh, it's weeks like this that unnerved me. It was my annual eye exam this week. And as you know, one of those machines is going to blow air into your eyeball. I don't know who created this, but second only to the fourth finger prick of a little child to test your blood, the air into the eyeball is a very evil evil thing. And when you first go back to the doctor's office, they tell you to sit in the chair and there's four machines there. You don't know which one's going to do it. I can never remember from year to year which one it is. But immediately what happens, I take my glasses off and my eyes begin to water profusely. Put your chin and your head against the rest and don't blink. That's all I can do now. You know, and, 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 and there will be a slight puff of air. Yes, it's the same thing that at your doctor's office, they say, oh, there's going to be a small pinch. Pinch, pinch, however you say the word. Okay. Just give me a minute and I'll stop blinking. Sorry, we're going to have to do that again. We didn't get any reading on that. Y'all are tracking with me here, aren't you? That puff of air, one of the gentlest things that could ever happen, it's brutal waiting on it to actually happen. And then I'm a grown man, I feel like an idiot when the young lady has to redo it three or four times on each eyeball. And then you go in to the next room and they shoot a bolt of lightning into your eye. Am I right? I'm right, I'm telling you, it was a traumatic afternoon Thursday. Uh, as I went for my annual eye exam, I'm happy to tell you everything seems to be good. But it's just nothing scarier in the world because you know all day before you get there what's coming. It's important though to get your eyes checked because you need to see clearly as much as possible, right? When we go into this morning's message, the question I want us to begin with is this, how clearly do you see your life in Christ? How clearly do you see your life in Christ? How clearly do you see and, and even comprehend the information, understand what it means to be a real Christ follower? You know, I want us to understand part of the, the very heartbeat of our church is why it is important for every Christian to see and to watch their life in Christ, to know who it is that they are in Jesus Christ. As I've said countless times, we live in a culture where it's easy to adopt a label with little meaning. We live in a culture where it's easy to 
for it to become increasingly uh, confusing about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this context, it's critical for us to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to do a two-part series, very familiar. Many of you could preach these messages yourself. You've heard them so many times. Good. That's the point. That's what I want everyone to be able to do. But I hope and pray they'll be encouraging. I hope and pray they'll be helpful. And most of all, I hope and pray they'll be usable by the Spirit of God to make us all more like the one into whose likeness we are being transformed from glory to glory. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus makes every person who trusts in him by the gospel a new creation to center our whole life on him. I can't think of a better message to accompany the day in which we celebrate baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, the Bible teaches that when Jesus saves us, he changes us. The word that it uses literally in Romans 12 too is he transforms. That's not just to wrap us in duct tape and get us by until some time, but it's, it's a change in the very nature. It's like the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly. It's a completely whole new being. Same individual, completely different because we have been made new. And Paul goes on to say in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 that those who have been made new are new because the old is gone. The old is gone and the new has come. There are two passages that help us shape a faithful understanding of what it means for that new to come in our identity in Jesus Christ. And today, we'll look at the first one in Matthew chapter 22. We'll be in verses 37 through 40. Let me read those verses for us, and then we'll continue with the message. I'll actually begin reading in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. What I want us to do over the next two weeks is look at the four core elements of a Christ follower's identity as being made new. And today, we're going to take hold of the first two of those elements. You see, when the Pharisee asked Jesus, and of course, it would be a lawyer. Come on, that's funnier. You're afraid to laugh, I know. When they ask, which is the great commandment? Interestingly enough, the Lord who is the master teacher who often answers questions with questions did not bother to answer this question with the question, but he gave a direct answer. Why? Because there's not two ways about it. There's only one passage that it could be. Jesus knew that the Pharisee wanted to trap him. They were looking for a way to put him in a corner and completely discredit him. And so he answered the Pharisee by affirming the Pharisee's knowledge 
So they would have agreed on the fact that Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, would have been the great commandment of the law, the commandment of love. But Jesus answered him by affirming his knowledge of that while he also rebuked his unbelief. Inciting the law of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and quoting the command to love God with one's whole being. Of course, the Pharisee would have been familiar with this passage. It's known as the Shema Israel. It is the center of all Jewish life because love for God was the very thing that they claimed. It was the very command of God. But friends, love for God, as they needed to know then and as we still need to know today, involves far more than how we feel about him, involves far more than just what we know about God, It involves even more than what we do for God. You see, Jesus taught what the law really meant because he was the perfect fulfillment of the law. John chapter 5 verse 39 tells us that. And in so doing, he exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and he exposes the hypocrisy of religion universally as well. You see, friends, love for God centers all of life when Jesus becomes the all-consuming glory of one's whole devotion. And the first core element of a Christ follower's identity in Christ is provided for us here as one of a worshiper, a worshiper. When we look at the text, the whole of Scripture, we see that God created people in His image. Even Genesis from the very beginning denotes a distinction about God's creating people from the way he created any of the other of creation. He created us in his image to display a unique glory in the world through a special relationship with him. Because it tells us that while God came among all of his creation, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. There was a special relationship that he had with male and female that he had created in people. But Genesis 3 tells us that sin separated us from God so that we do not display his glory, nor can we declare his praise in our sin. In sin, Romans 1 tells us we suppress the truth. It tells us that we failed to honor God, that we were darkened in our thinking and we exchanged the glory of God for a false glory by worshiping creation rather than the creator who is worthy of being forever praised. This is what sin has done in separating us. And because of our sin, we are spiritually dead in our separation from God because he is life. And our separation has set us at enmity with God, the scriptures teach. In other words, we are enemies of God in sin. But one thing sin did not do that it could not do was change God's purpose and his intention in creation to display his glory in the earth. And so even as it was prophesied in Genesis 3.15 and ultimately we see it revealed fully, completely and finally in Jesus Christ in the New Testament, God came in the form of a man, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And he died for our sin, willingly laying down his life and offering himself up as our payment for sin. 
that he might show us God's love, that we might be born again, remade, made new. By God's grace in Jesus Christ, when a person believes in him, we receive his forgiveness and we receive cleansing from our sin. Where our soul was stained with sin, now we are washed white as snow, the prophet tells us. And the New Testament tells us that we are made new, made alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Made new, it tells us, transformed by the renewing of our mind. These are all words that are used to help us understand and to describe what it means to be saved in Jesus Christ. And that new that we become in Jesus is completely different from the old because now the old is gone. You know, sometimes I think we have struggles personally with this because this outward body that is the clothing of our soul doesn't change. I mean, it changes. I don't look quite the same as I did at 16 when I became a Christian. But I am fundamentally the same person on the outside. But friends, inside, I'm nothing like I was without Jesus. And my own testimony is I walked with Jesus very closely to him, but not to be one of his followers for a number of years. I grew up in the church. I won Bible drills. I won speech competitions. Imagine that. There is a blessing for being gifted with gab. I, I, I attended services and classes and I excelled and I accomplished and I achieved. But what I didn't do is what I couldn't do. Change the nature of my soul. But at the age of 16, when the Spirit of God convicted me, when I humbled myself and believed, I received that forgiveness that only God can give. And I became a new creation. You see, friends, as a new creation, we are no longer at enmity with God, but we are now a worshiper of God. You see, in Christ Jesus, the scriptures teach the Holy Spirit comes to live in us so that our whole being becomes consumed with God's love to declare his praise. You know, it's true that all creation gives praise to God, but only people are designed to glorify God in the uniqueness of relationship with him. All creation obeys the Lord. We see this in the New Testament when Jesus comes out and the winds and the waves are about to kill the disciples, but Jesus speaks and they stop immediately. All creation obeys the Lord, but only people ascribe worth and praise to Jesus as the Lord in all of life. All, dis all of creation displays the glory of God. For if we don't worship God, what happens? The rocks themselves will cry out. But only people in relationship with God through Jesus Christ serve in this world to lead others to know God as a royal priest of his kingdom. You see, friends, as a worshiper, Jesus becomes the center of our life so that his glory centers all of our living. This is what it means to become a new creation. We are worshipers because we've been made new in a relationship with God for his 
glory. Relationship with God is not determined by who we are. It's determined by who he is. And relationship with God is not determined by what we've done, but rather what he has done for us. And this becomes very important when we consider that knowing God is is not about an emotional experience, though emotions are involved. It's not about a therapeutic breakthrough, though the light of the Spirit of God that breaks through through the Word of God often gives us such clarity. It's not even about intellectual accomplishment, which I would argue religion purports, and I believe that's what the Pharisees principally trusted in for their own salvation. They would tell you, yes, we know God, but it was intellectual only. No, the Bible defines our relationship with God by what the Bible calls a covenant. A covenant. There are many passages where we come to understand the covenant of salvation. I want to use one from the Old Testament that reminds us that this was the very plan of God from all eternity. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27 reminds us that our relationship with God is a covenant that he accomplishes and gives to us when it says this, and I will give you a new heart And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What Ezekiel does for us is he provides four clarifying qualities for us to understand what it is to our new identity as a worshiper. Let me provide these for you briefly here. First of all, the prophet tells us that we are given a new heart to know God. We can't know God with our heart of stone that sin has literally petrified us from. Matter of fact, not only can we not, but we have no interest in knowing God. But friends, those who have the new heart that God gives, those who are in Christ are the ones who know God. We know him for who he is because God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about being a religion of attaining to God as every other religion, but Christianity is about declaring the living God who has come to us to save us. It's the radical nature of what Jesus said to the Pharisee who knew about God but did not know God. Jesus said this, relationship with God is better than religion and knowing God is greater than knowing about God. You see, God gives a new heart to know him and to live as a worshiper, to ascribe the honor and the glory that he and he alone are worthy Uh, We are given a new heart to know God. The second quality that he identifies for us is that God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us. God puts his Holy Spirit in our new heart so he is always with us. Friends, this is the completion of what we saw in God's created purpose in Genesis. That when God came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening to walk with them, to relate with them, and to commune with them, that is the reason God created us in his image. 
to have that special relationship with him. That's what God lost and we lost because of sin. But in salvation, in the new heart that God gives to us, he doesn't give us second rate. He doesn't give us a morsel. He gives us his whole presence. The fullness of God lives in the one who has been made new in Christ. This is a second string God. That's why we talk about worshiping the triune God. God, the Holy Spirit, is the fullness of his deity. That makes us the temple of God on the earth, the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That God would not dwell in a place made by human hands any longer. But now he dwells in a place where he has prepared and made new in each one who believes in us, uh, believes in him. Holy Spirit shows the living word to us, to counsel us, to guide and to empower us to live out God's will and God's glory through us. You see, this is how God proves that we do not perform for him to impress him, but that he lives in us. Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the Christian life. God alive in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The third quality of being made new as a worshiper is that we demonstrate God's love and his glory in the world by obeying his commands. Listen to 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 when John writes, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Friends, not only do we live in God's love through Jesus Christ, but God's love lives in us. He is alive in us. Obedience to God's word is never just about our power or our will exerted for God, but rather it is always and only about God's power alive in us. that's, That's the whole essence of the Christian life. And we demonstrate the power of God's love when we trust in him to obey his word. You see, obeying God, because he has loved us, obeying God by faith is always greater than trying to impress God by our exertion, our intellect. Because obeying God by faith is life. Trying to impress God will always kill you in the striving. We demonstrate God's love and glory in the world by obeying his commands. Number four, we live for God's glory by serving his purpose to make his name known. This is what 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 is all about when it says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. By his love, God fills his people with his knowledge and his presence to declare his praise on earth. You see, we are created in God's image to serve his purpose on earth. We are redeemed in Jesus' likeness for the praise of his name as supreme above all others. You see, friends, in this first element of our new identity as a Christ follower. As worshipers, we grow an all-consuming love for God. 
so that we might walk with him daily as he intended for us. But there's something else that's interesting that occurs in this passage, and I want you to see it with me. Look at verse 39. At 38, Jesus says, this is the great and first commandment, that we love God with all of our heart, our soul, and all of our mind. Our whole being is consumed with God. That's what it means to live as a worshiper. But verse 38 says, this is the uh, great and first commandment, verse 39, and a second is like it. Now, this is the interesting aspect of what Jesus is doing here because this has never been done before. This was a completely radical thing that he does in the great commandment when he connects two laws that had never been connected before. At this moment, you can see the Pharisee scratch his head and go, huh? He knew Leviticus 19.18, but he had never tied it to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. You see, Jesus inseparably linked the two. And in his teaching, Jesus tells us that how we love God is revealed in how we love others. And friends, this is what I would argue is the very way that the Pharisees missed a real relationship with God. They loved God by loving themselves first. We see that in every description and every activity, even the prayers that they prayed are so indicative of this. It's the very opposite of how it is that God revealed himself in Jesus. But friends, this is how many people miss God today too. They love self first. They love self more than anything else. And when you fail to love God first with all your being, you will never love others as yourself. You will only love others and all things for yourself. The second core element of a Christ follower's identity is that of a servant. A servant. We are worshipers who are engaging the heart to grow in all-consuming love in all of life for Jesus Christ. And we are servants those who've been so loved by God that we live to show God's love to others because he has shown it and is living it in us. You see, when we live as worshipers who live in God's love for his glory and purpose, we live as servants for others to know God's love that is consuming our life. As Jesus came and took on flesh to reveal God to us, so he has redeemed us to reveal God. And though we do not do so perfectly as he did, we are a living testimony to the living God today. We're given his Holy Spirit to empower the life that God wants to live through us, not just to live any way that we choose, but rather the life that God has ordained for us. As 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy people. You are set aside to declare the excellencies of him who has saved you. This is the very purpose of our lives. Every person that is made alive unto God in Jesus is given a unique expression to glorify God in life. Just as I did with worshiper, allow me to present four brief qualities of our identity as a servant, 
as well so you understand. First of all, as a servant who lived to show God's love, we live as servants because Jesus served us to save us for his glory. Mark 10, 45 is very clear on this. For the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the one who came to give us life with God came to serve. That's the very essence of what Jesus did. It's his likeness into which we are made. And so if we are to be like Jesus, we must live as servants of Jesus first, but also of others as Jesus teaches and commands. And if we've truly been changed by God's love, we will live to make his love known. You see, Jesus, who is our master, is also our motivation to live as a servant. He modeled for us how it is we follow him. The second quality is that we live as servants by the same humility and obedience that Jesus modeled for us. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 declares to us that Jesus humbled himself to become a man, and as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the Father, even unto death. Gladly he humbled himself to the Father. Why? Because he trusted the Father. The Gospel of John throughout teaches us this, but chapter 17 gives us a very deep and unique intros, uh, 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 insight rather into the, the depth of the soul uh, who was God himself, God the Son. When he said that, that he was one with the Father, when he told us that he didn't say anything that the Father didn't tell him to say, when he didn't do anything that the Father didn't tell him to do, why? Because he's modeling for us how it is that we live for the Father in his will. Jesus was perfectly filled and consumed by the love of God when he walked on the earth. And this is how he modeled this for us. And the more of God's love that fills our life, the more humility and obedience will mark our life. Why? Because this is the way of a true servant. He was our master who is our motivation to live as our servant. He is our master who is our model to live as a servant. The third quality of the life of a servant is that Jesus has gifted every Christ follower with, with grace to serve by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. You see, the way Jesus wants you to live as a servant is in accordance with the way he created you. For the purpose he redeemed you and, listen to this, by the way he has gifted you to glorify him. You see, Christ follower, your life is a divine recipe for God's glorious purpose on the earth. When you live by a faithful expression of all that God has given to you, for the glory of his name. This is one of the reasons that comparison is so condemning of people. Because sin makes us want to be like other people. And so we compare ourselves. And then it deceives us by finding people who, well, I'm not like so-and-so. I'll never be that godly or that good. But sin also deceives us when it says, but you know, I'm not like so-and-so. I mean, I'm not that bad. And so we live in this nebulous point of comfort between two extremes that we feel like we're doing okay. 
But God says, I have a divine purpose that only your life can fulfill. I created you with the natural skills and abilities and talents that you have. I redeemed you for the very purpose and I have gifted you with grace unto this very end for the glory of my name. You see, friends, the more we follow Jesus, the more we see our whole life for his purpose and glory. The more we gladly give of self by the power of his love flowing through us to help others come to know and to grow in the love and the grace of God. Jesus, our master, has given each one gifts to serve, to show God's love, to minister that love to other people. Finally, when we live as servants, the fourth quality is that we live in God's purpose for our life. By the way we live to serve others, by the good deeds that we do for the name of Christ, and by the way we give of ourselves, God uses us to lead and to bring others to Jesus Christ. Friends, living as a servant, it's not only about what we do, but as you've heard me say so many times, maybe even more so, it's about how we do everything that we do. Where Jesus, by his grace in our life, enables us to take the most simplest of activities and out of which he produces the most profound eternal impacts. Think about this. How many times have you walked through the door of a church and someone simply looking at you in the eye and saying, welcome, breaks down barriers that you've built up some over years and immediately they come down because you've been acknowledged, valued and dignified with such a simple expression. That's not happenstance, friends. That's hospitality. Christ followers live as servants so that when the world sees our good deeds, they look to God and go, praise your name. That's the way a servant lives. And so how we live as servants reveals what it is that we truly believe and what we understand about our life in relationship with God. When we live as worshipers and servants, we see our life more clearly in light of the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, as Christ followers, we are servants who engage the hands to show the love of God to others that we have been filled with, that we know because of Christ. An interesting thing occurs in those verses just before verse 17 in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul writes, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, behold, the old is gone. Very interesting thing in verse 14, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Controls, compels, that word there means both of those things. It, it controls us because we have concluded this. Listen to this. Here is an intellectual conclusion that makes an eternal anchoring of the soul. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
Let me conclude with two questions. Have you concluded that one has died for all? That the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the empty tomb is for any and all who will believe and receive. Have you put your faith in him to be born again, to be made new? And secondly, have you surrendered to no longer live for yourself, but seeing your life because of Christ, to live for him who died for you?